Welcome back to the OWA Talks podcast. I am your co-host, Stephanie, here with my other co-host, Sandra. And for this month, our guest is the wonderful Anne Cavanaugh, who is the founder of Cavanaugh Consulting. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for having me today. So let's start off. Can you introduce us to yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, so my background is I spent 17 plus years on Wall Street, uh, mostly as a healthcare investment banker. Um, I started out at Drexel, Burnham & Bear in capital markets. So I learned about IPOs, secondaries, convertibles, high-yield bonds, bond, you know, high-grade bonds. Uh, and then I made the switch from Drexel to run NetWest Investment Banking. So I was head of health investment banking there. And I grew, you know, they had zero presence when I started to number three in healthcare on the street. So from there, I went to Solomon Brothers and I was co-head of the healthcare group. And from there, I went to Prudential where I was head of the healthcare investment banking group. And from there, I went to Penn Weber and I was head of their healthcare investment group. And so there was a lot of mergers and um, M&A activity on Wall Street. So there were no, no other firms I wanted to work for. So I said, let me work for myself and you know focus on a sector I really like and try to build it out and be the best in that sector. And so I founded Kavanaugh Consulting and I focused on the vision care space. I had, you know, banked every single sector, biotech, uh, healthcare services, uh, medical devices, HMOs, PPMs. Um, and I felt there was a real niche um, in the vision care space because it's both healthcare and retail and banking is done by sector. And this is the one sector that combined two dynamics. We always love getting to know the background of, of our guests on the podcast. Um, just to kind of learn a little bit more about their journey. Um, how and why did you get involved with the OWA as part of this, this career journey? I had three uh, close friends and people that I admired who were part of the OWA, uh, Marge Axelrod from Jobson, um, Holly Rush, and also Laurie Lippiot. And uh, all of them encouraged me to join the OWA as really as a platform, you know, for women in the vision care industry. Um, on Wall Street, it was 98% men. And so there was no platform for women. Um, and so I thought this was like a very unique opportunity for women to support women. So that's how I joined. I think we've had podcasts of two out of three of those people you mentioned. So you can always listen. Oh, to I didn't know. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to them. Okay. <laughs> So as you've said, you have a really strong uh, financial background where you've grown your career. How did you transition um, that career on Wall Street into the optometric? I thought to really that I needed to have a, a singular focus, um, you know, bonding my own firm and to be differentiated. You know, also my my dad is a doctor. So I think I always had a wanted to support other doctors on their their journey. And so I love the vision care space. And um, I felt there was going to be a consolidation opportunity with both ODs and MDs. And I thought, you know, why not bring Wall Street expertise to uh, the, this audience of doctors? Um, and so that's why I became focused on that. So I had to give up uh, all the financing. I loved convertibles. I loved IPOs. I loved secondaries and just focus on M&A and consulting. So currently you are the managing member of Kavanaugh Consulting. How did you make that transition into a consulting role to help others utilizing your journey and experiences? Because many of them are doing different roles, but have an interest in consulting, just kind of learning more about how that process unfolded for you. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, part of your job as an investment banker is to be a consultant to your client. Um, you, you know, we took many clients from, um, you know, small, small players and helped them grow mostly through M&A. And um, so, you know, that's essentially, you know, consulting. And so we just took that and just decided to specialize just in the vision care space and help different, a different audience. So, you know, typically we work with CEOs. Now we're talking with, you know, doctors who are entrepreneurs that have founded, you know, their practices. So our podcast today, our topic for today is the state of play. And we're wondering what kind of strategies and tips can you share with our listeners to successfully navigate through negotiating situations throughout their career? So I, th I think one of the things that um, you always want to be educated, right? You want to understand, you know, what's going on in, in the marketplace. I think one of the things that differentiated me as a banker on Wall Street was that I grew up on the capital market side. So I was very in tune with the market. And uh, so I could say to a client, listen, you should do a $100 million overnight convert. Uh, the, there's a huge demand in Switzerland. Uh, let's, let's launch that like right away. Um, so I think it's the same thing. Um, it's a timing. So you, you know when a client should sell based on their financials their age, uh, the demographics, um, you know, so you can, and then you also know, like we've worked with clients like for, you know, two to three years before we sold them as we helped them improve either their profitability or add an OD or, you know, they had a great, you know, uh, acquisition opportunity that we thought they should take before they sold. So it, it, every, every, uh, everybody is different, every doctor, um, but uh, we like to make sure that we consult, and then advise. So we really have to understand the client's objectives, the company's numbers, the company's valuation, uh, and then we can provide the right advice. Really great advice. If, if one of our listeners wanted to increase skills around negotiation to help them successfully make deals throughout their position, what resources would you suggest for them to learn more? So I, I think that I've seen like a couple of courses at VE, you know, Vision Expo East, Vision Expo West. Um, I think uh, always touch base with advisors in the industry, particularly, um, you know, we've got a, a client right now who uh, is opening up an ASC, right? So the question is, does he want to sell now or does he want to wait and prove the revenue and profitability of the ASC? Is there a structure that we could put into his deal because he's got people interested in buying him um, to get him paid for future growth and profitability? So those are all of the things that you know people have to really you know uh, get advice about. And also colleagues, like um, uh, each and every colleague has had some uh, the similar issue, right? Whether it's you know cost of goods or uh, acquisition opportunities, should I or shouldn't I? You know. Those are the type of things that I think uh, for other colleagues, whether it's you know members of the OWA or other organizations could provide as well. I would like to know because maybe I am out of it and I don't understand, but I don't know what an ASC is. Uh, oh, sorry, Amatory Service Center. So it's a surgery center. So oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was like, that? <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. Gotcha, okay, moving on. 
Can you share with us uh, what you see as some of some of the biggest opportunities in the profession moving forward? I think one of the biggest opportunities, if you look back, you know, in 2012, right, the early uh, part, there was really only, you know, one buyer, right, of optometric practices, and there was a few buyers of MD ophthalmology practices. So I think the the biggest change has been the evolution of uh, in the influx of private equity money into OD and MD, you know, practices. And so, you know, I had a client who um, was very concerned about, um, you know, a change and a transition. And I said, listen, you have choices. I said, so the good news is, you know, early on, uh, there was no choice, right? You just sold uh, doctor to doctor, right? Uh, now you have multiple choices. So even though it's more complex, uh, multiple choices drives value. And, you know, you can go out, run a process, and if you decide that's not what you want to do, no one forces you to sell. So I think the biggest thing is that I think the profession is changing. And I'm a big believer in embracing change and, you know, being ahead of it, um, you know, versus, you know, being a follower. So I think the good news is that there's lots of opportunity for people, uh, like for ODs to make choices. And uh, I think that's a good thing. From your experiences, what are the current market conditions for selling? So the current market conditions are quite strong. Um, you know, uh, the the deal pace was quite rapid up until COVID. And then when COVID hit, there was like six months, there was not a single deal done. And there wasn't a single deal done because there were no revenue or cash flow, uh, you know, coming in as the different, you know, state governments, you know, put a halt on. Uh, you know, people doing, you know, business. Um, and so it took a little bit and it, it was state by state in terms of how people, you know, recovered from COVID. So like, for instance, New York and California were the laggers, uh, probably because they were the most restrictive um, in terms of the, the different government agencies uh, and re rules and regulations. And Georgia and Texas, uh, the recovery was much quicker and stronger, like double digit growth. I think right now, um, we are really doing like, so then last year, because of the capital gains, uh, potential change, it was a massive demand for people to monetize their practice. And I think also COVID wore a lot of people out, to be honest. And uh, I think it continues to have a lingering effect because the HR issues, the, you know, managed care collection issues, um, you know, a lot of doctors just want to be doctors now and sort of had simplify their lives to let somebody else manage, you know, their practices. Uh, so I think, the, I think the good news is that everybody has a really good choice. There's multiple buyers and um, each one's slightly different. Uh, and so I think that's a, that's a good thing for, for uh, people, members of the OWA and also for the industry in general. I'm sure we have some listeners who have thought about joining a board to share their experiences, learn from others, do a lot of collaborating. Do you have any tips on how they can go about looking, locating a board opportunity? Yeah. So I think boards are great. I think what's, what's great about boards is that you have an opportunity to be with a collective group of people, all with the expertise uh, that's different from yours. And so I've been very fortunate to be asked to join a number of boards in my career. There, there is a requirement for boards to have somebody with financial expertise and in, in acumen. And so that's mostly why I've been selected on a board, plus some 
you know, industry specific knowledge as well. Uh, so I think you have to look at what's my strength. Is, what is my strength? What do I bring to the table, to a board? And, and how can I help this company? I, I think that's really, that, that's what I focus on is like, if it, and then how do you, so LinkedIn now has a board service. There's also an NACD board certification, which I have, and all of those make you like a better candidate for a board position. Do you think that there's anything that people can do to look attractive for those who are searching for board members? Yeah, I think I think having, um, you know, understanding what you would bring to the table, number one. So like I have a, a board resume and I have my, you know, regular resume when clients ask me, you know, who have I worked for? And uh, so they can touch base independently uh, in my whole, like very factual, right? So with a board resume, it's really like what you believe that you could bring as a skill set. And so like having that, I think having the, you know, showing that you're serious, having that uh, NACD, you know, like accreditation, it's, it's courses online. And then I think LinkedIn recently also has like, a, if you're looking for a board position, you can, you know, put your you know, resume toward that. Well, as we wrap up today, we always ask every one of our guests if you would be willing to share kind of a one piece of advice for all of our listeners. Um, so I think the one piece of advice I would share is that embrace change. Having like, you know, recently um, a friend of mine got fired first time ever, 30 years that got fired. And I said, you know what? Just embrace it. Figure out what you really want to do. It's not a reflection of you. It is what it is. It's a restructuring. So embrace it. I was fortunate enough on Wall Street to have work at many different firms, uh, you know, and it was a great experience. Each each had the pluses, the minuses, uh, but I learned a ton. So I, I would say embrace change. Great piece of advice uh, to send us out on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge around this subject. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You guys were great. Thank you. And we'll see everyone in our next episode.